KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. COVID-19 testing has been in the news quite a lot recently, especially with the virus spiking in the U.S. and questions about the halting of federal aid to some test sites. I wanted to ask an expert about the state of testing right now, nationwide, whether we've been able to ramp up virus tests and where we need to be if we do end up seeing a second wave. Can you introduce yourself and tell me what you do? Sure. My name is Esther Chernak. I am an associate clinical professor at the Dornsife School of Public Health at Drexel University and also at the College of Medicine at Drexel University, and I'm an infectious disease physician. I want to start with the basics. What role does testing people play in understanding an infectious disease like COVID-19 and in researching it? So, you know, testing is important in infectious diseases because it's it's how we confirm whether a person has the infectious disease or an infectious disease or doesn't have an infectious disease. And it's important in the context of clinical care because it allows us to initiate treatment measures that are important and control measures that are important. And it also allows us in public health to initiate public health interventions that can contain the disease. So it's critical to have laboratory testing to know who's infected uh, to initiate those steps. Right now, we're seeing some pretty significant surges of COVID-19 cases in the U.S. Several states are seeing record numbers. What do we know about where the virus is right now? We know the virus is in a number of states where it's in increasing rapidly. The virus is, is pretty much in every state at the moment. Um, there are clearly different parts of the country that are that are in different places of the epidemic. In the Northeast, we had significant transmission in March, April, and May, and now it appears that at least the peak of, of, the, of transmission in those places, particularly in New York State, in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, uh, there is much less transmission, and it appears that the social distancing and other interventions that were important um, have worked. But we are starting to see significant transmission, and we know that because we have many, many more cases in southern and western states, and in particular North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, parts of California are experiencing uh, significant transmission, and we're seeing many, many more cases. And we're also seeing greater utilization of hospitals and healthcare facilities because of that. One thing I should add, by the way, about why testing is important, in particular for COVID-19, is that we know that a significant percentage of cases, perhaps up to 40% of cases, are either asymptomatic, meaning that they are infected with the virus and shedding it and potentially spreading it um, without knowing it, or they are what we call pre-symptomatic, meaning that they are about to become symptomatic, don't know it yet, but in the, peer, in the day or two before they become ill, they're shedding the virus and potentially spreading it. So testing of cases and even potentially of contacts of cases and testing people who have the mildest of symptoms is also critical from a control measure perspective because the test, a positive test may be the only way we know someone has the virus. As you were saying, I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, health officials in March and April were saying how much we needed to ramp up testing. Uh, Has the United States been able to do that? Do we know how much testing is being done right now compared to the beginning of this? 
Yeah, testing has certainly increased since we began experiencing cases of COVID-19 in January, and I think every state has more capacity. There's huge, there's wide variation in terms of the amount of tests that are done from state to state. And in some cases, that's appropriate because the case counts are low. But in other cases, there's still a great need for testing and to ramp up testing, particularly cases, particularly in states that are experiencing large numbers of cases now. And I think the the biggest concern is whether or not we have su- sufficient number of tests within individual states and, na- and nationwide to deal with anticipated surges of the virus um, in the future. And it's not at all clear that we have enough tests to deal with what we have now in some states and what we expect will happen in the future. And, and, and I think, you know, I think the biggest issue is, is, is figuring out where we need to strategically test people to recognize cases early and to limit spread. And in many of those situations, those are, you know, testing related to individual cases and households uh, where we know transmission is high in workplaces where uh, transmission may be high and in high-risk facilities like long-term care facilities, nursing homes and other places where we've seen transmission occurs easily. And I've heard this argument a lot, uh, you know, online and even in Washington, D.C., that the reason we're seeing a spike in cases is because we're testing more people. What are your thoughts on that? What would you say to people who, you know, say that or argue that? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons why that why that statement does not explain the rise in cases. One is that the rise in cases has greatly, greatly exceeds the increase in the numbers of tests that are being conducted. And there's some data on the covidtracking.com website that depicts that very clearly. Um, in fact, in the state of Florida, I believe testing has decreased um, relative to the number of cases that are uh, n- newly identified. So so that's one, one major issue. And in general, I think the number of cases has, across the country exceeded the number of new tests that have been done. We also know that when testing is done, it should initiate a series of events, including isolating individuals and recognizing and identifying their contacts and then quarantining them. It should result in a in fewer cases. Um, um, and, and what we're seeing is just more and more cases. And so that's clearly because we're seeing just more and more transmission. The other thing that the other big signal that this is not just a testing phenomenon is that we are seeing in many states that are experiencing more cases, hospitals are filling up, particularly in Texas and in Arizona. We're seeing general medical wards, intensive care units nearly at capacity. And that's clearly a reflection of the fact that there are more sick people in those locations. There's sort of this debate right now, too, in American politics about whether we need to be doing more testing or slowing testing down. What are your thoughts there? What do you think would happen if we slowed COVID-19 testing? I I think we would probably see some of what we're already seeing, sadly, which is... uh, ongoing or increasing transmission of this virus and more cases, particularly in settings where there are limits to the social distancing and other interventions that have been effective in controlling spread. And I think, you know, my opinion is that we should be increasing testing so that we can be aggressive in terms of isolating people who are sick, identifying their contacts and doing what we call targeted case control and containment. Um, And so the, the way to do that is to ramp up testing, but not testing in isolation, to ramp up testing in concert with our capacity to make sure people who have the infection 
collection are isolated, away from other people, and to ramp it up in concert with our ability to investigate cases, identify their contacts, and quarantine or confine those contacts so they can reduce their their, uh, likelihood of spreading it to other people. So it's testing is the first step in that sequence of events, and all of those components have to be in place for us to limit disease. Testing is the first step. Um, In some respects, it, it has some significant limitations in terms of laboratory capacity and other things, but that's really, that's the first step that we need to have in place to be able to contain this in a targeted way so that we don't have to rely on these um, blanket recommendations for communities just to stay home and shelter in place. If we had a better ability to have a handle on who has this virus and the ability to make sure they're isolated and uh, the ability to recognize and confine their contacts, that's a much more targeted approach to containing this disease than the blanket recommendations for people to stay home and shut down their businesses and shut schools, etc. And, you know, I've been noticing when states post their daily coronavirus updates, you know, they usually do the total number of cases, total deaths, hospitalization numbers, things like that. But I started to realize that they're also now posting the total tests reported. In New Jersey, you know, they they keep pointing out that there's over a million tests that have been done with only a total of 170,000 cases around there. Is there a significance to the amount of tests being done? Like, what is that data supposed to tell us about the disease in that, in the state? You know, I think the, the, the number that's useful in terms of understanding something about the disease burden in a state is actually the percentage of tests that are positive. And that's an indicator as, in terms of how much disease there is and, you know, whether numbers are up because testing is also increased or numbers are up because there's a lot of disease and it gives you a sense of capacity of testing. So I think that percentage positivity is a useful number in addition to the total number of tests that are done. I don't think there's a right number of tests nationally or within individual states. I think we don't really know what that number is. I think having seeing the number of tests done expressed either as an absolute number or per capita gives you some sense of capacity. But I think the more important statistic is how many cases are there, what percentage of tests are positive that that is a signal in terms of the amount of disease in a community. And again, I think the more important number is how many tests do we need given given the high-risk settings that are in our state, given the, the number of cases that we have now and our ability to contain transmission once we've identified cases. And I think every there's a right number for every location and it and it's and it's really it needs to be thought about strategically, not just as a as a math equation in terms of population, et cetera, but where do we need to focus testing? How much test do we have to have in reserve to contain clusters and outbreaks so you're anticipating future needs? Um, so those numbers, there's a lot of numbers. It's, it's hard to know what to do with all of them. Again, I think in terms of the number of tests that are done, again, I think the, an equally useful, if not more useful statistic is the percentage of tests that are positive. I mean, what about certain recommendations, though? Some health officials now are telling people, you know, if you've been to one of those protests in Philly, you should get tested. Even, you know, some Jersey Shore gatherings where people tested positive, now they're saying you should get tested. Uh, where should people kind of draw the line on getting tested? Is is there a reason for someone to just get tested for peace of mind, even if, you know, they haven't been in one of those situations? Well, uh, that's a good question. And I think 
were struggling a bit to figure out what what the thresholds should be for testing. And and some extent, we have a legacy situation, you know, of, you know, we had such limited access to testing early on in this that we had pretty conservative recommendations that probably didn't serve us well from a public health perspective in terms of controlling this disease. I think we know that this is a disease that is highly contagious, highly transmissible, and so certainly um, having close contact with a, with someone who's infected, I think, is an appropriate indication for being tested. And um, even if you're completely asymptomatic, and generally the incubation period is probably at least four to five days. That's the that's the typical. The range is between two and fourteen days. But if you feel totally well, um, but want to be tested because you're concerned about an exposure. That to me is a reasonable uh, re- is, is a reasonable indication or an appropriate reason to be tested, um, even if you're completely well. Certainly, if you have any symptoms suggestive of COVID, uh, whether you think you had an exposure or not, that's a reason to be tested. Again, if you're if you're testing yourself after what you believe is an exposure, it makes sense to wait a number of days, probably at least four to five days since after that exposure. I think the, I believe the city of Philadelphia is recommending that folks wait a week um, after they've been. To say, a protest where they may or may not have been exposed, because we don't have a handle on the burden of disease in the population, particularly asymptomatic infection, and we know that asymptomatically infected people can be transmitting the virus, it's not unreasonable for folks to want to be tested if they've been in high-risk situations where people might have had the virus. And we just, you know, we certainly know that in Philadelphia, the virus is still present. And so if you've been in close congregate settings, it's, it's, it's reasonable to be tested after that exposure. And it's certainly reasonable to be tested if you've been at a gathering uh, like a party at the Jersey Shore, if that, to use your example, where people have been found to have the virus. I mean, that's also a recommendation for quarantine as well. But I believe it's useful to be tested as well so you know whether you have the virus. And if you do have the virus, there's a new chain of contacts that need to be identified and, and quarantined as well. Right. And and like you said, like we're still in this first wave. Where do you think we need to be before a second wave kind of hits? That's a great question. You know, I, I don't know whether we'll have a second wave, whether this wave will never end, and this will just be ongoing transmission that will uh, increase and decrease as our mobility increases and decreases. Um, you know, I think I think we've been taking our cues from the influenza history, and this virus may not behave like influenza. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it will remain a, a human pathogen, probably for for the for not foreseeable and even not foreseeable future. Whether it becomes seasonally endemic, the way other human coronaviruses now circulate, whether it will disappear and then recur in a wave uh, like influenza. Um, certainly pandemic strains of influenza have done. I don't know. Um, I don't know the, I don't know. I don't think anyone can predict. There's lots of folks who who model infectious diseases for a living who've proposed a number of different scenarios. And I think we'll have to wait and see, wait and see what happens. Um, but in terms of the number of tests that we need, you know, the, the challenge here is the asymptomatic infection and the presence of uh, asymptomatically infected people among the population who can spread the virus. And so you need to have enough tests to ident- to confirm the infection in people who are symptomatic, but you also
also have to figure out a way to use testing to do surveillance um, with the lowest threshold, you know, in terms of contacts of people, uh, potentially screening asymptomatic people, particularly in high-risk situations like nursing homes, et cetera. And we're beginning to learn what the high-risk situations are. We have to be able to look for this virus in places where we don't we don't know, we, we can't see it from a symptomatic perspective. So we have to test to identify where it is. It's, it's just so interesting to think, I mean, I can't remember another time in my life, at least where, you know, testing has been such a major component of a health emergency. Can you think of anything like this before? Maybe what's the last time we've had to do massive testing like this? So it's a great, I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, public health laboratory capacity has been a critical component of just public health capacity in general. It's a big, the ability to have clinical laboratories to uh, detect infectious disease agents in human clinical specimens, but even in environmental specimens and samples, and even non-infectious disease agents, you know, toxins and metals and chemicals. It's been a critical part of, of the public health system. And I think it's it hasn't been, in, uh, I think many people who work in public health have recognized that for years. Um, and every state has a public health lab, and some states have a couple of public health labs, and they do amazing work. Um, the New York City Public Health Laboratory is the is one of the labs that developed the vaccinia strain that became the smallpox vaccine. And it's been a critical part of disease control when it comes to recognizing and controlling foodborne disease outbreaks. We've used the public health lab system for an, a range of emerging infectious diseases that have been problematic in the last 25 years, everything from SARS coronavirus 1 to Zika virus to H1N1 influenza. And, I mean, testing was important in our response to all of those. Uh, and I think this is obviously such a such a, a much larger emergency. And, and I, I think it's, you know, that's one of the reasons why people are now recognizing how important the lab is. But again, I think that I think some of the biggest issue here is is the is the problem with asymptomatic infection and the need to actually have a lab test to recognize whether someone's infected. And I think I think that particular component has elevated the importance of laboratory testing. Um, and I think in the absence of really effective control measures, like a vaccine or even a medication, um, we are relying so much on the kinds of what we call non-pharmaceutical interventions, the social distancing, the mask wearing, etc., that are required. And testing is sort of one of the steps that sort of initiates a lot of the sequence of events to do more targeted containment. Um, so I think it's just, I think it's the volume of, of what's needed here, the, the magnitude of this pandemic, which is really, I think, nothing like any of us have really experienced since probably 1918. And again, I think people in public health who work in public health have always recognized the importance of the public health lab and of just clinical laboratories in general. But I think we have a unique situation here where just the sheer number of cases and the key role of the lab in terms of confirming cases to initiate both clinical as well as public health control measures has um, amplified its importance and I think reinforced its importance. And I think it's now become something that even, even non-public health you know, folks recognize as critical. One of the issues is in terms of just increasing testing is is making everything about testing more accessible, having testing that is 
accessible from the perspective of samples, that the way we collect samples, the rapidity of turnaround time, that's something else we have to improve on. So we have results within 24 hours that we can act on them. Those are, those are the, you know, the components of, of an improved testing system that we also need to have in place in addition to simply increased access to testing. So like you, you have some recommendations then of what should be done moving forward when it comes to testing. Well, I just we need more capacity so that we can turn the results around more quickly. The holy grail would be to have a point of care test that you could collect a specimen and run it quickly and have it be highly accurate at the at the clinical uh, care location. That would be the holy grail. We don't have the technology at the moment to do that. But that would be something that would, I think, be a game changer in terms of our ability to really react quickly from a clinical perspective and public health perspective. Right now we have testing sites where where specimens are collected and then in many cases a period of several days until, you know, the, the site gets the test result back. And so, you know, while we need to ramp up the capacity to just do tests or perform tests broadly, part of that capacity also needs to be to accelerate the turnaround time. Well, thank you so much for your time today and talking about this. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.